0: Tonight I'd like to talk about the joy of renunciation. And it's a useful talk early in the retreat because um, often we don't really know what to do with some of the difficult body, bodily, and mental feelings that come up, whether it's just feeling sleepy on the first day or the body's achy or... Doubt arises, why did I sign up for the retreat or how many more days? And uh, some of these experiences, physical, mental experiences can be unpleasant. And <clears throat> if we misunderstand, because you know most of us have done some reading and we have some sense that what we're doing here is about renunciation, but we may not really understand what renunciation is. We know it has something to do with letting go. And we tend to use it to judge ourselves, like I should let go. Why aren't I letting go? And so I want to frame renunciation, which is really understanding this whole path that the Buddha taught, as a, um, a deepening of an opening up of what happiness is. So not like, you're gonna take that away from me too? First the cell phones. (laughs) (laughs) So how can we understand renunciation as a cause for happiness? And remember, uh, letting go, sometimes that means saying no, like some habit of judging somebody who's eating across from us in the dining room, arises. And the mind skillfully says, no, I don't have to identify, I don't have to proliferate with that thought. But sometimes renunciation is saying yes, too. Like the people who walked up this morning and put their cell phone in the basket you know, it, it's just two different ways of framing this, uh, framing that. Like, I have to give my cell phone up, or I want to be seen as one of those people who gave my cell phone up, or I always do what I'm told to do, so I'm going to put my cell phone in that basket. Or we can see it as a, a, a saying yes. Like, I know some things about life, I've been paying attention. And I know the happiness that comes from having a smartphone. You know, I've seen it clearly. I've looked it in the eye. And we're not in denial of the convenience or the ability to connect with our loved ones and other things we get from it. But the yes is like, but I'm interested in what kind of happiness exists with the heart that's not dependent on having that cell phone. It's not that we're saying the cell phone isn't nice or anything, you know, having the food you want, the bed you want, being around the people you want. So renunciation is just as much as saying yes to the happiness, and there are different ways to talk about this happiness, but the happiness of the heart that's not dependent on conditions being a particular way. In a way, you can just understand life as two paths, the path of trying to make life the way you think, like trying to manage or create the conditions that you think will make you happy, or developing an understanding, just developing a freedom, a mind that's free, an understanding that allows the mind to be free no matter the conditions. So if we're getting sick, I worked so hard to get here to take time off and now I'm coming down with a cold. So we could either, from this first perspective, it's like, well, that's not what I wanted, so therefore I should be unhappy because I'm getting what I didn't want. Or maybe this is what you wanted and now we have nice weather and you're healthy and you had a couple good sits today. Well, I should be happy because I'm getting what I want. So here happiness and unhappiness is a function of the conditions and we have a lot of confidence that that's true, a lot of unexamined confidence that happiness and it. there's reasons we have confidence because on the surface it really appears to be true that our happiness and unhappiness is a function of the particular circumstances or conditions, external conditions like the weather or who we're around or, kind of food they serve for lunch, and internal conditions, like how calm the mind is, how much pain there is in the the lower back or in the knees. Or we can begin to intuit a happiness that's really about the mind not dependent, the mind not tied down to the different conditions that come and go a happiness that is independent of what comes and goes but independent doesn't mean disconnected right to be really free of the conditions of circumstances we have to be connected if we're disconnected that's not it's not a expression of freedom it's an expression of i can handle the conditions so i'm going to be unaware, unconscious, I'm going to, you know, get lost in some distraction. But to be intimate, to be connected and free, no matter the conditions, the sensations in the body, no matter the memories that are arising or the emotions that are moving through us, the neighbors, the people we're sitting around or eating around or sleeping next to, no matter the conditions. So this is what we'll explore tonight as we look at the joy of renunciation. And it might be good to just take a moment and intuit something that's here and now. Because like I mentioned at the beginning, we tend to think that um, I'm going to practice renunciation, basically go into this desert where I don't have anything because I have to let it go. And then if i really good, being in that desert, then somebody's gonna deliver something good to me and I'll be happy. So you see how that's a, it's a real setup because generally we do that and it just confirms that that's not the way. So let me go back and juice up my experience. I'll get something here and now, some sense pleasure, something that's exciting. I'll stir the pot in some way to make the moment feel meaningful. And part of that problem is that we, we didn't, uh, we weren't inspired to directly see is there something here and now worthy of refuge, worthy of relaxation? Is there some sense of fullness or wholeness that arises when the mind isn't being obscured by trying to fix our experience or make something happen? And the answer is often, well, I'm not, I'm not so sure if there's something here. You know, it's interesting, the Buddha didn't talk about renunciation generally to just anybody he was evidently pretty good at sensing where people were at in their lives the kind of understanding they had and often people lay people like ourselves we you know people like us in a different time and place would show up and the buddha would get that that person these people here me you know we often are looking to be happy So he would teach, well, if you want to be happy, here's what you do. So it's not so easy to intuit the happiness of letting go unless we already feel somewhat safe. So often in the beginning of a retreat and also just generally in the beginning of our practice, we're hearing these teachings, these more simple, straightforward teachings about how to be happy in really straightforward mundane ways. So instead of taking things that aren't ours, the Buddha says if you really want to be happy in a more um, resonant way, practice generosity because it will actually make you happy. Not because you'll be good and you should be good, but it's a cause for happiness to be generous, to be someone with a generous heart and cultivate non-harming. I mentioned this a little bit last night. When we really commit to um, being part of the causes for safety for ourselves and others, as opposed to creating causes for anxiety for ourselves and others, we start to feel happy. We start to feel safe when we commit to non-harming. And the third cause of happiness he talked about was learning to develop the mind, learning how to develop the mind, how to stabilize the heart and mind, how to be in the moment in a steady, clear way so that the mind can be the knowing mind, the wisdom in the mind can understand, basically understand the lawfulness of what's unfolding here. And that kind of happiness is that basic feeling of empowerment where we begin to be able to read how things are unfolding like why is this happening why are why does my wife and i why do we always fight well and then because the mind is more and more steady we see the underlying causes we see the misperceptions the misinterpretations and we read it And so now, all of a sudden, we're empowered to do something different instead of being caught doing the same thing, getting the same result. So again, the three causes for happiness, generosity, sila, this commitment to non-harming, and developing the steady, clear, wise presence, a mind that can be steady, balanced, and wise see how things are unfolding. So when we're, we have some of that happiness, that basic happiness, which we get actually relatively easy being on retreat, as long as you can see that your being here is an act of generosity, you're really giving yourself, and you need to keep reframing, like you're not here because you're bad, You're here because you're giving yourself, because you care about your life so deeply, you're giving yourself these nine days. And you're with everybody else who is giving themselves these nine days, these teachings. And this whole place exists because of countless people's generosity. And these teachings that we're practicing, where did they come from? From the Buddha and then Right. There's been 2,500 years, so there have been women and men who had busy lives, complicated lives, difficult lives, and in the context of their difficult lives, they did the best they could to develop these teachings. And they, some of them at least, developed some real understanding and shared it to the next generation and the next generation. This is just an amazingly deep and wide river of generosity we're in the middle of. And that really helps to stabilize us. But remember, we have to think that way about being here, because we could think another way about being here that would be really agitating and disturbing for our mind. And it's not like one is necessarily right or wrong, but one is definitely more skillful, and one is another is less skillful, right? So we want to frame being here in a way that causes happiness in our heart because happiness clarifies the mind. So we can cultivate a sense of generosity. We can reflect on the precepts and this commitment to being here together in community and as best we can, and we will make mistakes, not creating the causes for people to feel unsafe. For me, causing myself to feel unsafe, and for me, causing any of you to be unsafe, right? And that just creates this really beautiful vibe of safety, which is another cause for happiness. And we can reside in that happiness of generosity, this commitment to safety and non-harming. And then, of course, the most obvious thing we're doing here in a a really beautifully dedicated way with the schedule and with the teachings were training the mind to be steady, to be clear, to be connecting with the way it is over and over and over. And that's such a beautiful thing. Like I mentioned a few moments ago, it allows us to see the lawfulness of how things are unfolding. So all three of these things help us feel safe and stable and happy. And then all of a sudden, when we're feeling that kind of happiness, we become interested in this more subtle uh, happiness, more profound happiness of renunciation. In a way, we need to be relatively happy before we understand that however much happiness we have because of generosity, because of sila, this commitment to non-harming, because the mind is relatively stable, things can happen that can still cause the mind to be destabilized or for painful states to arise. So we're interested in in a more um, um, unshakable kind of happiness. And the Buddha then teaches this kind of happiness, the joy of renunciation, the joy of non-attachment. So even though, you know, like in this tradition, we revere the, the nuns and the monks, you know, the symbol of a monk or a nun stands as this symbol for internal renunciation of letting go of clinging to any fixed notions of self, of I, me, or mine. And so this outward renunciation that the nuns and monks represent, it's a little bit like what IMS itself in this retreat container represents, where we for nine days we leave behind our homes. And so when you're eating your oatmeal at breakfast, you don't really it doesn't really matter who's across from you, whether they're unemployed or famous professor, whether they've done thirty nine day retreats or five three-month retreats practiced as a nun or a monk in Burma or Thailand, or they're just somebody brand new, right? It doesn't really, these things don't matter. They're just somebody eating their oatmeal, just a human heart that wants to be safe, that has some degree of calm or stability or some degree of agitation right now, some comfort in the body or some discomfort in, comfort in the body. So we come on the retreat with whatever stability, whatever happiness we can bring to mind, ground in, to explore a more profound letting go. So when we're walking back and forth in our walking lane or sitting in the hall or doing your daily activities, maybe your yogi job or using the bathroom or putting your stuff away in your bedroom. We're practicing uh, giving the heart, giving the mind completely to the activity of the moment. And in a way, we're letting go of it, needing needing it, needing the activity to be about some attainment, like, I'm doing this in order to be really good at this retreat or have something to say to the teacher in a small group or be able to say something to my partner when I get home or feel better about myself. So when we, as we begin to reflect on the Buddhist teaching, teachings on renunciation, It's the renunciation, the letting go. And what are we doing? We're letting go into what's already here and now. That's what I meant about intuiting that something is already here and now. A refuge, you could say, or a a more unshakable happiness. The happiness of not seeking happiness elsewhere. That's already here and now. But you see, it, it makes sense, doesn't it, that if we're not feeling some stability, some happiness, neurotically, we're gonna to wanna to get happy first. So we create some, we, we bring to mind how the generosity that brought us here, that sustains us here, we notice, we feel the sense of safety and love and commitment to non-harming with the staff and the other retreatants. We appreciate these teachings about and this um, sort of pointing to the stability of mind, the clarity of mind. All of this just feels good in our bones, like we really trust it. Just on this basic human level, it just makes sense, like basic human common sense that this is good. And then with that, we're willing to explore letting go of our attachments. Even the attachment to, I'm here to get something. So wherever we are, we don't have to sort of look for attachments to go beyond. Let the attachments present themselves moment by moment by moment. When you're walking back and forth, you might notice some striving, trying too hard. Or you might notice some holding back. You know, And then that fear of holding back or that greed of striving, then oh yeah. So this is something that can be renounced. And don't assume you know how to renounce it because the cause for letting go, the cause for renunciation is a deepening of understanding. You don't actually need to know how to let go. Just get interested in the holding, like holding back in the walking or sitting or trying too hard. So basically any self-stance, oh, I better hold back because i got to get to the end of the day or I better try hard because I haven't had a good sit yet or a good walk yet. And, and basically, the mind is afraid of having made this huge commitment to be here and not getting anything from our experience. I bet each of us have had that fear many, many times on retreat, like some version of I'm gonna be a failure. I've wasted this opportunity. But we have to really look because some of us will always err on the side of holding back a little, not being wholehearted, not feeling we're capable of really showing up in the practice, really taking it on, not feeling empowered that we know enough to do it. And some of us are way leaning forward, trying to get something, trying to attain something There's a really interesting discourse that I wanted to share tonight. Venerable Ananda, the attendant of the Buddha and a very well-known character from the Pali Canon, these recorded teachings of the Buddha, and was talking with a householder, Tapusa, and uh, he brought him to see the Buddha. And this is what um, he said to the Buddha. We are householders who indulge in sensuality, delight in sensuality, enjoy sensuality, rejoice in sensuality. For us, indulging in sensuality, delighting in sensuality, enjoying sensuality, rejoicing in sensuality, renunciation seems like a sheer (laughs) drop-off. Sound familiar? You know, we're. I mean, I see this all the time, and I, I feel like I've been training my mind for a long time. But, you know, images come to mind, being in a, a sort of a beautiful, simple cabin on the south shore of Lake Superior. That, to me, you know, it's like, and to somehow say that happiness doesn't depend on even nice things like that, being with the people I love. Now the Buddha's not saying that those beautiful sense experiences are bad. What he's saying is the mind's dependence, happiness being dependent on being around our loved ones or being on a be- in a beautiful cabin on the south shore of Lake Superior or being on a nine day retreat at IMS the heart being dependent, thinking that our happiness is dependent on those conditions, that's suffering. And so he goes on, this lay person, this householder, he says to the Buddha, yet I've heard that in this doctrine and discipline, the hearts of very young monks and nuns leap up at renunciation, grow confident, steadfast and firm, seeing it as peace. You can almost imagine his disbelief, like, how can this be, right? How can it be, like, I bet some of your friends said this, how can it be that you're excited, you know, to travel halfway across the country, to go to a place, you know, where you're not gonna talk, you're gonna sit and walk. Now, how can it be that you're excited about that, that your heart leaps at the opportunity to do another retreat. Some of you, you know, have, some of us all have done, imagine, cumulatively, all the days we've all been on retreat. I mean, it's gotta be thousands and thousands of days, cumulatively, we've been been on retreat. So, in some way, our hearts do leap at the joy of renunciation that we intuit there's something here, so, so right here is where this doctrine and discipline, so that this is the lay person talking to the Buddha, is contrary to the great mass of people, this issue of renunciation, right? He doesn't get it. How can there be these people, like symbolically the monks and nuns especially, who not only do it for nine days, but they take on celibacy for their, as long as they're a nun or a monk, eating one meal a day or... Not eating at least afternoon. Their garb is very simple. Very few possessions. It's really, if you get to know, if you have an opportunity to meet and get to know um, a monk or a nun, a Buddhist monk or a nun, it's really extraordinary. Just the uh, the outward degree of renunciation. They really wonder, and then to notice how happy they can be, <laughs> and then it makes you wonder it actually is a cause for happiness so here's what uh, the Buddha says in response so it is even I myself before my awakening when I was still an unawakened bodhisattva right someone on the way to being a fully awake person thought renunciation is good seclusion is good but my heart didn't leap up at renunciation didn't grow confident steadfast or firm, seeing it as peace. The thought occurred to me, what is the cause? What is the reason why my heart doesn't leap up at renunciation, does, doesn't grow confident, steadfast or firm, seeing it as peace? And this is so interesting how, because basically the Buddha's talking about his mind before he was awake, which is basically how he practiced. So this is a little insight. and he you can see he asked himself questions. Some of you maybe have listened to some of Sayadaw Utejaniya's teachings and he's really advocates this wisdom approach to practice where to keep the attention, and this is especially useful as you're moving about the meditation space, the retreat space, just to develop a continuity of awareness. And one way to help that continuity is just to ask some questions about what is the mind knowing? How is the mind relating? What's the attitude in the mind, right? So here's an example, like the Buddha is noticing that although letting go of grasping doesn't make sense to him intellectually, he noticed that his heart doesn't leap up at an opportunity like, oh, I could skip this meal and I could notice, right, that like is there actually Joy in realizing the mind not dependent on this meal. It's not that eating the meal would be wrong, but realizing that the mind doesn't have to be dependent on it. Like you might go to bed tonight thinking, I'm going to get up at five o'clock. And then you end up getting up at four. You just wake up. And no, 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 I said I could sleep to five. It doesn't matter that you're awake and you don't feel like you need more sleep right? Because your heart's not leaping up at renouncing the idea and renouncing being the one who said, I could sleep to five, right? Because that's what we said to ourselves, you can sleep to five o'clock. So there are so many little opportunities to see. And so the Buddha asks, you know, why hasn't the heart lapped at renunciation? What's holding it back? And then When the mind asks the question, then answers start coming. Not like the final definitive answer, but the question illuminates our actual experience, experience as it's unfolding in the moment. It just clarifies it. It's how we bring the energy of investigation, investigation of Dhamma, the way it is, to the fore. You can really do that by asking questions from time to time. Why is the mind holding? What is the mind not seeing? What's here and now, but not being clearly seen by the mind? So here's what the Buddha, after asking that question, then the thought occurred to me, right? So this is like now what gets illuminate. I haven't seen the drawback of central pleasures, right? Sometimes this is uh, translated as the danger, but it's not that Uh, sense pleasure in and of itself is dangerous it's dangerous only because it tends to trigger the mind being dependent on the pleasure or dependent on getting rid of what's painful or not pleasurable right so this is an important point subtle but really important because otherwise we can begin we can become negative and then like when we're on retreat, we can just sit here and sort of fume about all those people who get to eat what they want. And all those people who are, get to look at the news and get to experience entertainments and hang out with their friends. And this sort of holier than thou, like but I'm on retreat, I'm doing the good work. But we're not happy, right? We're, we're feeling the suffering of judgment the stress of judgment. And we still really want to be that other person who gets to do all those things. So we have to see that the danger in sensual pleasures is that the mind thinks that this is the way to happiness. I'll read a quote later, I think, from Sylvia Boorstein, where she talks about that the problem isn't sense, pleasure, the poem is being pushed around by sense pleasure. Maybe I can find that quote. She says, I need to keep rediscovering. This is Sylvia Borstein, who's a wonderful teacher, one of the founders of, of Spirit Rock in California, one of the sister organizations to IMS. She says, I need to keep rediscovering that the pain of the struggle is greater than the pain of the desire, right? Because we have the option to be mindful of what it feels like to be desiring. We don't want to turn desiring into the enemy. The mind is gonna desire. You know, the way the mind is conditioned, being a living being, it's gonna desire. She goes on and says this. She says, if I develop the habit of restraining myself, I'll enjoy the relief of feeling desires pass. And I'll remember that desires are not the problem. Feeling pushed around by them is. I'll continue to have desires, of course, because I'm alive. But they become more modest in their demands. And just another flavor of the joy of renunciation is Realizing that a very poignant, very sort of juicy desire can arise on retreat and will arise on retreat. Could be for some simple sense pleasure like some food that you really like or connection with a person that you'd really like or relief from pain that you would really like. And it's so empowering to know that however unpleasant that craving is, that the heart, the mind, can be right in the middle, relaxed, intimate, clearly aware, and the pain of desiring ceases without needing to gratify the desire. That Seeing that clearly, now we have to see that many, many times, but each time we see that clearly, each time there's enough continuity where we feel a strong desire, craving, really wanting something. And there's enough wisdom in the mind to realize, oh, this is an opportunity to test whether the Buddha knew what he was talking about. Because he taught a path of, of a full and unshakable happiness that comes from letting go. Letting go of the need, to gratify desire. So I'm going to sit here with real curiosity, right in the middle of how unpleasant it is to be desiring, craving, wanting this, and not personalizing the desiring, but not pushing it away, not feeling like I have to repress it or get rid of it. Being right in the middle. It's like just the movement of life energy desiring, right? It's just like what the mind, body, heart does, it desires. That's what living creatures do. Even really simple creatures, amoebas, in their own way, simple way, you know, desire to move. they got those little cilia, those little hair-like things, do you remember your high school biology? And they go away from things that they find noxious and towards things that they find pleasant, a lot like we do. But we have this opportunity like when there's some discomfort in the body to sit still and to be relaxed with it. Now, we could move and nobody's gonna, you know, if we're not making a lot of noise, no one's gonna ever say anything. It's not like we're gonna be judged if we move. But it's really interesting to look at the strong desire, like to scratch a little itch. But just take it as an experiment in truth. Okay. Is it is there happiness in a sense of an empowerment to be right with this very strong compulsion to move and see what happens like is there a happiness of not being pushed around by the desire not needing to gratify the desire and it's of course it's so useful because there are some desires or a lot of desires we can't gratify you you know no matter how competent we are or how much good luck we have so it's really a good skill to have because we live in this world that sometimes good things come our way and sometimes they don't and we have a few cards to play but a lot of the way things unfold is you know not in our control things are just unfolding due to innumerable causes and conditions so to be able to sort of receive what easily comes our way that doesn't cause harm in our receiving it, taking it, using it, but to be able to let go of what we desire when it would be the cause for harm because it's not ours to take or somebody else might be able to use it more than me. And so we have this potential to be able to live to live really simply, So just to finish this discourse where the Buddha's responding to this lay person about how even even the Buddha, before he had his deep insight under the Bodhi tree, his awakening, even his heart didn't leap up at renunciation. Then he realized, it's because I haven't seen the drawback, the danger of sensual pleasures. I haven't pursued that theme, meaning I haven't contemplated what it feels like, what it's like when I let my mind uh, follow this well-worn habit of thinking I'll be happy when. And this sometimes gets triggered for some of us at the food line, you know, where just very primal conditioning around food gets triggered for us. It's such a great place for inside practice, vipassana practice in the dining hall, for all kinds of reasons it won't be quite as good when they finish the renovation. It will be a little too spacious, <laughs> too pleasant in there. But for the time being, there's a few more retreats we can take full advantage of the challenges that come up because you're kind of close at hand, you know? And so when our greediness gets activated, then we, it gets more pointed out because we realize people can see us. We can't hide <laughs> as easily, right? And we we just notice this. And even when we get what we wanted, we always wonder if there's more to get, right? And that's that endlessness of when we think that gratifying desire leads to real happiness. As the Buddha said, he started to contemplate, he took it up as a theme, this uh, dependence the mind had on desires, craving. He took it up as a theme and it really, he saw the endlessness of it. And this is described in in pretty powerful terms when you read about the insights he had under the Bodhi tree then, that sort of famous night, where it's talked about in cosmological terms of seeing life after life, beings basically being driven by this dependency on gratifying desire, gratifying craving never-endingness of that. But we can see this is not beyond our capacity. Like even, you know, you move a little in the, sitting, in the meditation hall, and then you want to move a little bit more. I mean, one of the signs of an experienced meditator is they know pretty deeply that I may need to move the body when the pain is unbearable, but I sh- I'll never believe again that by moving the body means I won't want to move the body in the next moment, right? because we know that just because I'm gonna move my body and stretch my leg out and relieve the tension, it doesn't mean I'm not gonna wanna move my body two minutes from now. Or another, (laughs) I remember some long retreats where some saliva would build up in my mouth and it's like, oh God, do I swallow or do I just sit until the end of the set? It's like, well, if you swallow, you're just gonna wanna swallow again, and then again, and then again, and then you're gonna judge yourself for swallowing And then these little things become, it's like, like torture. (laughs) And then we really start to see how craving and thinking we have to, uh, first I'll gratify the craving and then I'll settle into my set. Or then I'll settle into inside practice, you know. And then I'll really see how suffering arises. But first, let me gratify a desire. First, let me get to my favorite walking space or, you know, find my favorite place in the dining room and then I'll contemplate reality just as it is (laughs) so we're always putting off the real practice which is oh here's attachment and the Buddha says that attachment should be renounced which means we don't try to get rid of it but we go right into the middle of it we get interested in it the letting go of attachment is the understanding this is the teaching on the second noble truth maybe somebody will give a talk on the four noble truths this retreat but it's really understanding that letting go happens because the mind is understanding when the mind misperceives misunderstands or you could say when our mind is superficial then it makes sense that gratifying desire even though with deeper understanding, it's just short term. But from a superficial point of view, it really seems like the way to be happy, to scratch that itch, to have another cup of tea, to sleep more. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong by sleeping or having a cup of tea or scratching an itch. But the mind being dependent on these things is stressful. And when you feel happy, You're willing to explore whether this is in fact, what the Buddha taught is in fact true. And then he took up a different theme. He said, I haven't pursued that theme. And then he talks about renunciation. I haven't understood the reward, the happiness of renunciation. I haven't familiarized myself with it. That's why my heart doesn't leap up at renunciation, doesn't grow confident, steadfast or firm. Seeing it as peace. And I bet there are some examples of maybe almost everyone in this room has some examples from your own sitting or walking practice where you really stayed with something that you didn't want to stay with. The heart opened, there's enough stability, enough confidence in the teachings, confidence in the teachings, that you stayed right in the middle of the experience. And it played out, it causes and conditions, one thing led to the next, to the next. And whatever it was, it resolved itself. So the intervention, you know, the fix, was letting nature be nature, letting the causes and conditions that were playing out in our body or mind or around us, letting them resolve themselves. Now, the more we learn this in the silence of a meditation, the more we begin to understand what this looks like out in the world. Where we have to talk, where we have to interact, where we're part of the personality, our personality is part of the unfolding. But we can engage the world, our family, our work site, we can show up, we can respond right, a little bit different than when we're on retreat but we can show up but this might happen actually in your yogi jobs, you know, where you have to figure out a problem. But you don't have to be attached and the heart doesn't need to be afraid and it doesn't need to be attached to being right or doing it right. We can just let nature be nature, right. So we give ourselves mind is clear sensitive and observing awake to how it's all unfolding so if it ends up being a disaster and you do the wrong thing you know and you drop something in the dining hall then you're right in the middle of that experience and whatever arises is received and whatever like however the mind understands how it could be done better then that's received too but we're not trying to control our retreat, our yogi job, a sit, a walk. We kind of submit to the basic form. So when we're doing a yogi job, we submit to the instructions we got from the staff. When we're doing our sit, we're submitting to the basic instructions of grounding in the present moment, perhaps using the body or the breath to support that grounding in the present moment and cultivating over and over again a willingness or an intention to sustain this balanced, simple, bright, alert presence. Just sustaining it, and walking is basically the same thing except you might support that continuity of that balanced attention with the sensations of lifting and moving and placing. Or if you're walking at a faster pace, just with placing and placing placing. So we submit so that we can practice seeing attachment and learning not to be pushed around by it, which means the only option is to be intimate with it. We're intimate with the unpleasantness of craving, the unpleasantness of struggling or fearing or whatever the particular flavor of the attachment is. We have to be intimate. When you're unwilling to be intimate with attachment, with the ways that the mind is inclined to struggle, then you're going to be struggling, right? There's really sort of two camps or two allegiances. Either the mind is gonna struggle, I think struggling is the way to happiness, which is like saying craving is the way to happiness, or It's believing, it's understanding that letting go, renunciation is happiness, which means a willingness to be intimate and vulnerable and to allow things to unfold naturally so that the mind can better understand what's unfolding naturally. Because freedom comes from understanding, not, and that's why renunciation is asking everything it's asking that we put down all of our self-centered ways of trying to fix and control and attain and putting, in a sense, all our eggs in the basket of understanding. That's really at the heart of Vipassana, our insight meditation practice, is this deepening value in understanding. And just to come back to the point I made earlier that that understanding requires a certain stability, right? We have to feel safe and relatively happy before we're, because that stability is what allows the mind to begin to understand or see what it hasn't seen before. So the Buddha says that if by forsaking a limited ease, one would see an abundance of ease, an enlightened person would forsake the limited ease for the sake of the abundant ease. So either way we win, you know, like if our mind is craving and we're acting it out, then we can see that whatever we get from acting out our craving, struggling to make the body comfortable, struggling to distract herself because we don't like our experience. We can see that whatever we get, like maybe we get a juicy distraction for a while, Might We concoct some fantasy about being a good meditator. Isn't it interesting how we have fantasies about being on retreat when we're on retreat? Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm the only one. <laughs> <laughs> so just to see how, even though there's a little juice when we do those, have those fantasies, just to see the limited nature of that. Okay, that was something, I'm not going to deny it was something, but now I have to come back, and there's still this mind and body here and now. So, and so we, when we're caught in struggling, then we notice that whatever we get from being caught in struggling is limited. And then when we intuit some freedom, some empowering freedom of not being pushed around by experience, then we want to begin to more deeply intuit and appreciate and remember, basically, that happiness that's here and now. I'll just give you a couple sharings from the Buddha about this, or one from David White and then one from the Buddha. Came across this poem, I'm not sure where. um, Somewhere. Here it is. It's called Enough. Enough. These few words are enough. If not these words, this breath. If not this breath, this sitting here. This opening to the life we have refused again and again, until now, until now. And David White, in describing his process with this poem, talks about, um, it. he says, it was as if I had caught a delicious scent of something I had long forgotten. And this really points to that intuition We're so busy struggling to be happy, following our cravings, being led around by our fears, and that activity of being pushed around by craving, pushed around by fear, it obscures something that's here and now. So when those moments arise during our retreat where the heart and mind feels or whole, peaceful, for no good reason, right? Not because of anything. It's like a sense, an intuitive sense that the wholeness or the peace, it's just the nature, in the nature, when the mind isn't agitated by craving, needing, wanting things to be different than they are. Here it is. A lot of times we dismiss it because we don't trust it. It's like, I can't be happy. I haven't had a good sit yet. Later, you know. So the Buddha, one translation of a a line from the Buddhist teachings, whoso has turned to renunciation, turned to non-attachment of the mind, is filled with an all-embracing love and freed from thirsting after life. Let's just sit for a few moments together. Time for walking practice now.